I'm going to preach a standalone message today. I originally had planned on preaching this last week, but with us having to go to uh, live stream only last week, I decided that I would push it off to this week. I'm going to turn, uh, if you would, turn your attention to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read the first eight verses. You can follow along on the screen. You can also look uh, follow along in the church app, or you can just look in uh, whatever device you have that's not the church app, and, and then go figure you can actually use a physical Bible to follow along as, as well. And uh, Well, however you would like to do that today, you can check your Bible out just to make sure I'm reading things correctly here. But I'm reading from the New King James today, the first eight verses of Isaiah 6. says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up in the train of his robe, filled the temple above it stood seraphim each one had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet two he flew and one cried to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke so i said woe is me for i am Undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So just for a little bit, hopefully it's just a little bit, I want to preach on seeing beyond 2020. Seeing beyond 2020. And it is, of course, a a play on words with 2020 vision, but also the year 2020. Let's pray real quick before you're seated. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word, for your spirit, what you have already done, for your presence we've experienced. Lord, but we thank you for what you're going to do through the preaching of your word here today. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I I was 17. You see that I have glasses here. I was 17, and maybe maybe I was a little slower than, than some. But I, I had, we had moved from Louisiana to Blue Springs, Missouri, and I was sitting in class, and I found it increasingly difficult to see what was on the chalkboard. We used chalkboards back then when I was in school, and uh, maybe if you're younger, you haven't experienced chalkboard too much, but we used chalkboards, and I, I kept not being able to see what was going on, and so I moved all the way to the front row which was not where I wanted to be, and I still would have to squint and try to see the board, and it took me a while, and it just dawned on me, maybe I need glasses. So I, my, my parents, they, they took me, uh, I got my eyes checked, and sure enough, I needed glasses. I still wear glasses to this day. They, they went through a period where my eyes got worse, and then they've gotten a little better over the the last few years, it's kind of weird how that works. Maybe I was eating better, I don't know. But they've kind of fluctuated over the years. And, 
And the goal when you get glasses or you get contacts, you get any kind of assisted uh, vision, is to see 2020. That they are trying to get you where you can see what the normal or average person, maybe we should say average person, what an average person can see from 20 feet away. That's the, way, that's the way it originally started. Now they have all kind of fancy things that they do, and you're sitting there looking through stuff, and you may only be five feet away from the chart, and they're, they're making it look like you're 20 feet away. And, but the goal is to be able to see what the majority or the biggest percentage of people can see at 20 feet and be able to read that. It's possible, in fact, to, to get better than 20-20 vision. In fact, some people have better than that, just they're born with that. And some people who have corrected vision can see better than 20-20. Last time I did my eye exam, in one of my eyes, I could actually see 20-15, which means I could read at 20 feet with my glasses what most people could only read at 20 feet. So the idea of 20-20 is... They, they consider it not perfect vision, but they consider it normal or average vi vision. In fact, though it's, it's not really average anymore, only, they say only about 35% of people can see have 20-20 vision without glasses. That's just over a third for those of you who aren't math majors. That's not the majority by far, but maybe that's the, the biggest block of people. If you look at a bell curve, that's where it kind of falls. These are the people that uh, can see... 2020, and so they're considered the norm. They're considered what everybody is shooting for. Many churches went into the year 2020 deciding that they wanted to do a play on words and go, we have a 2020 vision. Churches have visions of what they want to accomplish over a period of time. They have visions of what they want to accomplish sometimes in just the scope of a year. And so churches went into 2020, the year 2020, with a vision but I would tell you there's probably not a church on the face of the planet that went into 2020 that got anything right. That what they anticipated and what they were looking forward to got quickly thrown out of the window because of COVID-19. That virus that is all that we talk about, COVID-19, it is, it is, has taken the world by storm, it has killed millions of people around the world. I just saw today that some 350,000 deaths have been attributed to COVID-19. And, and, and there's all kinds of ways to look at that, whether COVID-19 killed them, whether it was a contributing factor, whether they died on a motorcycle and they had COVID-19. I don't know. But it's still a lot of people. It wasn't what people anticipated. Nobody came into 2020 at least unless it was somebody responsible for the pandemic. Nobody said, man, this is going to be a great year. We're going to have a pandemic. Nobody looked at that. Nobody went into 2020 going, man, it's going to be a great year. We need some social unrest this year. Starting in February and then again in May and June, and, and social unrest that, that at the moment seems to be kind of died down a little bit, but many things are just under the surface, the tensions, and it just takes one incident and it all comes back of what people are dealing with and the anxiety they have about what's going on in our world and about racial tension. Nobody went into this anticipating social unrest. Now, almost everybody here in, in the United States went into 2020 with a presidential campaign in mind and going to be a presidential election, but I can't imagine anybody foresaw it going down like it did. That in three days from now, on the 6th, senators are saying they're going to vote to, to not, are not going to vote to ratify the Electoral College. And 
You, you can be on any side of that equation that you want to, but nobody anticipated us still trying to figure out who's really going to be president on January 21st, what that's going to look like. Nobody anticipated that. So in the middle of all of the chaos, in the middle of all of the things that are going on in our world, what do we look at? What do we view? What, do, what should we focus our attention on? And I would tell you that it shouldn't be that we focus on all the bad and all the negative. We've got to see beyond 2020 and see beyond everything that went on this past year. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be cognizant of it, but it just means our focus should not be on the negative. Our focus should not be on the bad. Now, the text I read to you, Isaiah of course, the author of the book that bears his name, he is a prophet of God. The text starts with, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah, one of the good kings of Judah, one of the kings that were following after God and following after the scripture. And you may be aware of this, maybe I've told you before, but when, when Judah and Israel split in the reign of Rehoboam, that Israel, ten nations, they go their own way. Their capital is in Samaria. Not a single king was godly. Not a single king served God. In Judah, it kind of went back and forth. Some kings, and Judah was made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And some kings were good and some were bad. And Judah would periodically have revivals where kings would come back and they would serve God. They would follow God and they would lead the nation back to him. And Uzziah was one of those good kings that was bringing the nation back to serving God, bringing the nation back to following the law of God. It has been speculated that Isaiah was not just a, a prophet in Judah, but he was also possibly related to Uzziah. And if you're a prophet of God, you want to be a prophet when you have a king that's serving God. You don't want to be a prophet when the king is not serving God because then you're the one, you've got to bring bad news and say, thus says the Lord, and, and then maybe like, a, like Elijah, you flee for your life. You don't want to be one of those kings where you're always bringing bad news of judgment, but you want to be, you want to be a prophet when there's a good king. And Uzziah, he gets sick. Possibly not only a good king, but as I said, related to Isaiah. Isaiah, part of the court of the king. This king that Isaiah looks at, this king that Isaiah looks to, dies. He gets sick and dies. And in the middle of that, the King James says it this way, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. That little word also, it has, it has a lot of meaning because he said, I saw that you, Zion, died. I, I saw the bad. I saw the negative, but I saw also the Lord. That I didn't just see this bad thing going on, but I saw that there was a God on the throne. Uzziah is no longer on the throne, but there is a God who is still on the throne. And what I would tell you in 2020, we saw all of this bad, but God is still on the throne. God is still in charge of everything. So if you're following along, I, I want to bring six points to you, and I'm going to hurry through these six points. Why use three points when you can have six? So here we go. And the first is this. I just mentioned that, that God is still seated on his throne. 
His throne is still occupied. That just because Uzziah came off the throne doesn't mean that God is off of his throne. And just because the world is in chaos and everything bad is going on doesn't mean God is not still in charge. He is still on the throne. And I would tell you that only the king sits on the throne. Only the real king is sitting on the throne. He is still there. That no matter how bad things go in your life or in our world today, God is still sitting on the throne. And if he's on the throne, that means that he is in charge. That means he's not just sitting there on a throne that means nothing, but that if he's on the, tr- the throne, that means he's in charge. That means he is ruling and reigning. That means none of this caught him by surprise. That no church had in their 2020 vision pandemic and social unrest and political unrest, but God knew it was coming. God wasn't caught by surprise. He, he didn't say, oh man, I, I didn't see this. Maybe I should get off the throne. No, he is still on his throne. But no matter how bad things are, he is still ruling and reigning. When we don't know his plan and when things look desperate and when things look out of control, he is still on the throne. He's still in charge of everything. But the question is not, is God on the throne? The question is, is he on the throne of your life? Do you still see him sitting on the throne when things are going bad, when things are difficult, when things don't turn out like you want them to? Do you still see him sitting on the throne of your life? Can you see also the Lord seated on his throne? He is still there, and I would tell you that he still wants to be on the throne of your life, and I believe that he is, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. You could find a lot of other things that you could do besides come to church, but, but when you put him on the throne of your life, that's what you do. You come to celebrate him on the first day of the week. You come to worship him corporately when he's on the throne of your life. His throne is still occupied. Second thing the text tells us is that his train still fills the temple. His train still fills the temple. Now, it's it's not like the trains that we have come by here. We may have one come by, and if it does, we'll sing, this train is bound for glory. (laughs) Only if it runs through the building, I guess, and we'll all go to glory right now. But I'm, I'm planning on going to glory whether it happens today or not, but... But when it says his train still fills the temple, what it's referring to is the train of his robe. There is a tradition that says that, that the length of the train of the robe of a king is directly tied to how many victories they have won. In fact, some kings would take the, 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 the robe of another king, when they defeat that king, they would take his robe and they would add it to theirs. And which means that the longer the robe of, or the train of, the ro- of your robe, that means the more victories that you've won. And what Isaiah said is his, the train of his robe fills the temple. That there's no room for anything else. He is a God who is victorious. He's a God who's victorious over every situation and every circumstance, even when... Uzziah dies, and even when there's a pandemic, and even when things are going bad, the train of his robe still fills the temple. And the reality is not that he has a a, a lot, just a lot of victories, that's true, 
But the fact that he still has a robe, period, means he's never lost a battle. Because had he lost a battle, he wouldn't have a robe. Somebody else would have his robe, and their train would be long because they would take all of his victories with them. But we serve a God who has never lost a battle, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Would you give God praise today for his goodness? And no matter how bad things get, God still wins. He wins every battle. Every battle. He's not just winning the war. He's winning every battle. The problem for us is that we don't see how he is at work a lot of times. We don't see how God is maneuvering and and we think that we're on the losing end, but we're going to win because he's maneuvering us and he's positioning things so that we win because he never loses a battle. He's still on the throne and the train of his robe still fills the temple. The third thing the text tells us is that in verse 2 and 3 it says this, Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I don't want to focus on the holiness of God at this point, but I want to focus on this phrase, He is the Lord of hosts. In Hebrew, it is Yahweh Sabaoth. Look at your neighbor and say that. Yahweh Sabaoth. And what that means is, The Lord, when you see it in the text, and if it was on the screen, you could see it. It's all capitals. Once again, it's not just generic Lord, but it is God's name. It is the tetragrammaton. Oh, man, I'm getting too technical here. But it's just those four Y-H-W-H. They didn't use vowels in the Old Testament. It's just the consonants, but it is what is referred to as Yahweh. So it's just those four letters. And when you see it in all caps, that's what the Hebrew is behind that. It's saying Yahweh is the Lord of hosts. Not just the Lord of the Sabbath, that's not what that means, but He is the Lord of the armies. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, He is the the Lord of hosts, means He's got a host of angels behind Him. They are His emissaries, they are His warriors, He is the Lord of hosts. So not only has He never lost a battle in the past, but that means He's still got His army, and He's still fighting, and He's still at work today. He is still in charge of the army. It's a military term. For God being in charge of this great angelic host, not just messenger angels. It's not what it means, not just little furry or cute little cupids. But these are warrior angels. And anytime you see Lord of hosts, that's what it's talking about. That God, who is the Lord of hosts, is going to fight your battles. Elisha, a great prophet, successor to Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 6, the the armies of the Arameans had been trying to destroy Israel. They had been fighting Israel, coming against them. And and so Elisha has this great inroad with God. God talks to him, he talks to God. It's kind of the way it works. We can do the same thing. It's called prayer. And and so Elisha would talk to God, and, and God would tell Elisha where the armies were going to attack. And so Israel would either be there and be prepared, or they would not be there. And so the king of Aram, he gets upset about this. He realizes that it's Elisha that is causing him all of this problem, and it's Elisha's fault that he can't 
destroy Israel. So he decides that he's going to go after Elisha. Forget the armies of Israel. He's going after Elisha. And he finds Elisha at Dothan. Elisha, it's just him and his servant. He finds them and they, they surround Elisha and, and his servant is a little upset about this. He's looking out and they're surrounded by these armies, the armies of the Arameans. And he's like, we're in trouble. We got, tr- we got problems here, but this is what Elisha said in 2 Kings 6, 16. He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. His servant looking around going, All right, Elisha, you've seen a lot of things, but you have lost your mind. I don't see it. It's just me and you and all these army of the enemy. And Elisha prays that his servant would be able to see what he sees. And when he does, he sees all of the angelic hosts surrounding the armies of the Arameans. And he said, there are more with us and be with them. That God is still the Lord. He's still got angels fighting for you and on your side. Would you give him praise for that? But, but not only does he see these angels and say, yeah, we got this. They come down to attack them, and Elisha prays and prays that they would go blind. And instantaneously, the entire army goes blind, and he tells them, this is not the place you want to be. He's like, why don't you follow me? I'll lead you to where you need to go. They're blind, following the man that they're trying to kill. He leads them into the city of Samaria. Now, we're talking Israel, not Judah. So the capital city of the ten tribes of Israel is Samaria. He leads them into Samaria, and then just for the fun of it, maybe it's his sense of humor, maybe it's God's sense of humor, after they're all in the city and the gates are closed, he prays that their eyes would be opened. And their eyes are open, and they look around, and they realize they're in trouble. They're inside the city. They're surrounded by the armies of Israel. What I would tell you is that God is going to fight your battles, but he's going to do it in ways that you don't anticipate, in ways that you don't expect. But he is still the Lord of hosts, and he still never lost a battle. That means that no matter what you're facing, he is with you. And what we need to do is when things are going bad, we need to be like... uh, Isaiah said, I see also the Lord. I don't just see the bad, but I see also the Lord. And maybe we need to be like Elisha and pray that we can see what God is doing and that we can see the host of the angels of God that are surrounding us and are helping us. Paul would say it this way, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Aren't you thankful God is on your side and God is fighting for us? Fourthly, his glory still fills the earth. That's the last phrase of verse 3. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not just part of it. Not just in the places where the pandemic is not going bad. 
Not just in the places where there's not political trouble or there's not social unrest. Not, not just in those places or, or not even just in those times when things are going good. But the whole earth is full of His glory. He is an omnipresent God. That means He is everywhere present. That means He is also every situation present. That if you're in a situation that's bad, that means you are somewhere. And if He's everywhere present, that means He is present in your bad situation. He is present in your difficult circumstance. I can't imagine what the Holman family is going through, but God is still present. His glory is still with them. The Old Testament talks about Ichabod written over the door of the temple. The glory has departed. That was because of their repeated sin. But God's glory is still with you no matter what you go through and no matter what problems you face. His glory fills the whole earth. And we can see evidence of His work everywhere that we look. And you can have dark days and difficult days, but His glory is still present. Fifthly, and I need to hurry, He still takes away sin. Verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me just pause right there. What Isaiah has said, I, I thought everything was good. I thought I was, I thought I was pretty awesome until I got a new vision of what God is. And then I realized, man, we're all so far from him. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched up your iniquity, is taken away, and your sin is purged. Isaiah recognized his lack of holiness and his lack of righteousness. He recognized when he got a real vision of who God was that he didn't measure up. But the good part of this, and he uses lips as indicative of his whole life, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so when the angel takes the coal off the altar, it touches his lips and purifies. That is what God does when he comes in and touches us, as he purifies and cleanses us and takes away our iniquity. That in the middle of difficulty, he still takes away sin. He still is about the work of salvation. It's still not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There is coming a day when salvation will be over. There's coming a day when salvation will no longer be offered. And we are getting closer to that day all the time. And and I know I... I've actually made fun of people. They say, man, we're closer now to the coming of Jesus than we've ever been. Yep, anytime it's in the future, the longer we live. But the evidence is this all around us that we are getting ready to wrap this thing up. 
And so the time of salvation, the end of the opportunity of salvation may come sooner than we anticipate, but it is not over yet. Salvation is still for today. Today is still the day of salvation. He still takes away sin, and and if you need your sin taken away, he still wants to bring a coal from the altar and touch you and purify you and take away all of your sin. Sounds like ice. Nobody breaking in the back door. Because we have the Lord of hosts on our side. And lastly, and Pastor Cedric can go ahead and come to the piano to give you hope that I'm really almost done. The last thing I want to point out to you from this text is this, is that he still has a mission for us. Verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will Go for us. Then I said, here am I, send me. That just because days are dark and difficult, just because trouble abounds, doesn't mean his calling has changed. His calling doesn't change with our circumstances, our situations. It doesn't change when bad things happen to us and consequently our task has not changed our mission is still to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ that is still the calling of every Christian is to make disciples it is to reach people and tell them about Jesus Christ there's a phrase I haven't seen the movies. Saw the the TV show a few times. It's amazing how things in our culture from entertainment or whatever get pulled into our common vocabulary. But it is from mission possible if This is your mission if you choose to accept it. That's what God goes in and he gets the secret message. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. We don't have an impossible mission. It may be difficult at times. We may not see the result that we want to see. We may talk to 15 people about Jesus and only one or none decide they want to follow him and serve him. But it's not impossible. We're here. There's a whole lot of others just like us worshiping today. It's not an impossible mission. Is it always fun? Maybe not, especially when it's not successful, but the successes make up for the difficulty and successes make up for it when we see somebody come and do a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, somebody repent of their sins 
have their sins washed away in the waters of baptism and are filled with the Spirit of God. That makes it all worthwhile no matter how difficult it is. But for a Christian, there is not, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. There's no if clause. It's just, this is your mission. Make disciples of every nation. It's not an option. It's not impossible. But it is our calling, and difficulty does not change the mission He has for us. The only thing that we have to do is to be like Isaiah and say, Here am I, Lord, send me. We do have to accept the mission. We have to get involved in the mission. We have to be at work in the mission. He is still sitting on his throne. His train still fills the temple. He's still the Lord of hosts. His glory still fills the whole earth. He still takes away sin and he still has a mission for us. close your eyes for just a moment Father I pray right now that we would get a fresh glimpse of you Lord coming out of a year of difficulty of trouble of trials a year of loss of friends or family and maybe jobs and all kinds of negative things that have gone on. Lord, we want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see you sitting on your throne. We want a vision, Lord, of who you are. We want to see your train still filling the temple. We don't want to just know that it's true. We want to see you in all of the things we've talked about, Lord. But most of all, we want to make sure that we're on mission for that we are about the king's business. That we fulfill the calling that you have for us. Lord, speak to us. Let us see you. Let us see beyond 2020, not just the year, but not just our natural vision. Lord, let us see a spiritual vision of who you are. want to see you high and lifted up. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, He can be today. All you have to do is want Him to be Lord of your life. You just have to tell Him. You just have to tell him you're sorry for going your own way or doing your own things for the sins the sin is anything that is against the will, the purpose of God to ask him to forgive you of all of that that you want to follow him and serve him when you make that step 
If you're ready for Him to take away your sin in the waters of baptism, you're ready to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. If He's not Lord of your life, would you pray that prayer today? Would you, would you ask Him to be? Would you make the decision that, that you're going to follow Him, not just in theory, you're going to follow him in practice that what he says he wants you to do you'll do what he says he wants you to avoid you will avoid that he will be lord of your life not just a ticket to heaven but he will be lord of your life that means he is in control lord i pray once again that you would touch every heart and every life here this sanctuary today and anybody watching online I pray Lord that they would make the decision to follow you choose to make you Lord and Lord for everybody who's already made the decision who's already following you who's already followed you in the waters of baptism who's already followed you Lord and being filled with your spirit signifying that being resurrected to new life pray, Lord, that you would draw them closer to you, that 2021 would be a year of blessing and favor. Lord, in spite of everything else around us, that your presence, your power would lead and guide and direct, and it would be a year of being on mission for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand and grasp that just because we don't always see you does not mean that you are not there. That we don't always see your handiwork doesn't mean that you're not working. That just because we don't always experience things like we want to doesn't mean that you're not with us. It doesn't mean your, whole, your glory doesn't fill the whole earth. Or your train is still filling the temple, Lord. Help us to see you this year. 